0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, Thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Anybody else been doing some decorating around your house in the last couple of weeks other than me? Amen? Yeah, thanks to the wind in Las Vegas, we got to do it twice at our house, right? I think Chicago owes us an apology. We must be the Windy City, not Chicago. Uh, But usually when you start decorating for us, it usually begins around Thanksgiving weekend. We start dragging out a bunch of boxes that look like this. Anybody else got some boxes like this that you use at your house, right? What is this? It's a storage box and it's designed to contain things. So you take the lid off and you put things in it that you want to keep. And You put those things on the inside, and then once you got them neatly tucked away, you put the lid back on, and then you put this somewhere so that you can keep those things that you want to contain for personal use. And Then when you need them, you come and you take the lid off, and you drag the box out, and you start getting out whatever's in it to use it. Then you put it back in the storage box, and you put it away again, right? The bottom line is for many people, this is how they come to church. They come to church like a storage box. And here's what I mean by that. Their perspective about church is they come every weekend, and the goal is to get their box filled up. We come empty, we come broken, we come in need, and we come with our storage box. And we get our box filled up on the weekend or we go to small group, we get our box filled up and we'll even say things like, man, I need to, I need something today. I need to get filled up. I need that pick me up. So we'll come, we'll get our box filled, but then we take it and we tuck it away at home. We put the lid on it and we, we keep that there. And as we need some things during the week, we'll draw on it. And then we come back next weekend with our box to be filled again over and over and over again. But there's another kind of box that we're using a lot right now. And it's not a storage box. Right now, a lot of us are wrapping some gift boxes. And it's similar in that a gift box is designed to store some things. You take some things and you you put them in here. But you don't put something in a gift box and put the lid on it to keep it for yourself. The design behind a gift box is you put things inside of it so that that gift can then be given and be a blessing to someone else. And the reality is that we should really have in our minds, when we think about the church, that we're not storage boxes that just keep things and contain them for personal use, but all of us are really gift boxes where God has, by His Holy Spirit, Put a gift inside of us. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But that gift is not so we can sit at home and say, man, look how gifted I am. Look what God's done for me. But God's gifted us so that through us, what he's placed in us, he might use it to be a blessing to others. To kind of illustrate this even more tangibly this morning, I actually have a gift here that, that that I've prepared that i put some things in here. It's a real gift. This isn't pretend. It's a real gift, and I'm just going to give it away this morning, all right? It's a real gift, but I didn't put the things in here today to keep them for myself. I put it in here to give it away, so I'm just going to pick somebody right here. I'm going to give you the gift. There you go. That's for you. That's a gift, and that's what a gift is, is designed like. If I took that gift and I put something in and then I took it home just to cherish it. That's not the way a gift box is designed to be used, right? A gift box is designed to put something in it so that you can then give that to someone else to be a blessing to them. Here's the reality. Last weekend, Pastor Scott did a fantastic job teaching God's Word. Amen? Amen. Pastor Scott preached God's Word about how God has gifted us. And he talked about the gift of salvation, but then secondly, he talked about each of us has been gifted in a way to be used by God. So here's what I want you to get this morning. I want you to look at this statement on the screen. God desires to use you in the lives of others. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. God desires to use you in the lives of others. I want you to get it so much that I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and I want you to say this right now. Go, just turn to him, say this. God desires to you, say it. It's always so fun watching you do that because you don't ever know which way to go first, right? If you're, if you're on the end of the row, it's easy. But if you're in the middle, it's like, I don't know, I'm not saying it at the same time. It's okay, however you did it is fine. I just wanted you to hear somebody tell you today, God desires to use you in the lives of others. Here's the bottom line. Church is not simply a place that exists to meet my needs. Now, it is true... That we do come to church. We connect in the community of believers so that God can do stuff in us. So that he can fill us. So that he can meet our needs. But the church doesn't exist simply to meet my needs. The church is a community where Christ in me can meet the needs of others. I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, you don't... You, you, I, I got a ton of brokenness. I've got weaknesses. I've got struggles. I have needs. How? How could God possibly use me in somebody else's life? I'm glad you asked that this morning. I want to show you a verse of Scripture. If you have your Bible... I want you to open it to the book of 1 Peter. It's a book in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible. If you get the revelation, you've gone too far. Just back up a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to look at one verse of Scripture. It's verse 10. And in this verse of Scripture, Peter is writing to a church in the first century. And he's dealing with this very idea of God desiring to use us in the lives of others. And in dealing with it, he reveals something incredible. As a matter of fact, if you don't know about you what Peter's about to tell us, I can't wait for you to know this about you. He's about to say something about you and me as followers of Jesus Christ that is absolutely incredible. So let's look at it together. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Look what he says. As each one has received a special gift, employ it. In serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Did you hear it? I want to unpack it for you in three statements. Simple truths out of this verse. Here's the first one. You have been given a grace gift. God in his grace has given you a gift you say why do you call it a grace gift here's why i call it a grace gift because the word that peter uses here in 1 peter chapter 4 that that we translate in the english as the word gift is a very unique word. As a matter of fact, a matter of fact, almost every time you read in the New Testament the word "gift," it's translated with the word "dokeo." Oh, that's what the word "gift" or give is, is translated from. But this particular word is a very different word. It's only used a couple of times and translated with the word "gift." The Greek word we've transliterated, uh, transliterated into an English word. Here's the Greek word: "charisma." Sound familiar? We got the English word charisma from it, but the English word charisma does not mean the same thing as this Greek word charisma. This Greek word charisma comes from a root word that is a very special word. It is the word charis. Say that word out loud, charis. Now, that's a special word, not just because it's my granddaughter's name, all right? That does make it a special word, but it's special for something else. The word charis is special because every time you see the word grace in the New Testament, you know what the Greek word is? Charis. Charis is the word in the Bible for grace. Anybody else in the room like grace? Grace. Amen. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for the grace of God. Everything that I am today, I am because of the amazing grace of God. And the Bible here says that at the moment of salvation, God in his infinite wisdom and by his grace has given you a supernatural divine enablement. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I didn't work for it. But just because He's gracious, at the very moment you and I became a follower of Jesus Christ, God in His infinite grace gave us a gift. Now, we know He's given us the gift of salvation, but beyond that, in His grace, He's given us this divine gift. Enablement. Listen to the way my seminary professor, Dr. Jimmy Milliken, who impacted my life significantly. Listen to what he says about this word charisma. Look at it on the screen. He said charisma is the outward manifestation, not of that with which one is born, nor inherited through the womb of their mother, but what is implanted by the Holy Spirit when one is reborn. It is that which is accomplished in and through the believer by the Holy Spirit, Which would otherwise not be accomplished. Again, I'm not talking here about your natural abilities, I'm not talking about your skills, I'm not talking about your talents. We should leverage all of those things for the glory and honor of God. Amen? Every time or every talent, every skill, every ability that we have, we should seek to leverage those Christ in us, living through us, leverage those things for the glory and honor of God. But this is not, this word charisma is not talking about your natural abilities or talents or skills. This word is talking about a supernatural gifting that is given to you by the Holy Spirit as a work of the grace of God that is solely an expression of His work in and through you. When you study the New Testament... The Bible talks about these gifts in multiple places. For example, Romans chapter 12, Paul begins to make a list of these gifts. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul talks about these gifts. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, you find another place where they talk about some of these gifts. As you study through the New Testament, there are over 25 different gifts mentioned in the New Testament. And I believe convictionally that the New Testament does not even give us an exhaustive list of all of the gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. I don't think we even know all the gifts that are, that, are, that are possible as grace gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible does mention some, gifts like leadership, gifts like giving, gifts like mercy, gifts like prophecy. These are workings of the Holy Spirit of God by His grace. Let me give you an example. One of the gifts the Bible mentions is the gift of teaching. Now, all of us as Christians have the responsibility To teach other people. It's called discipling. All of us as Christians have a responsibility to pour into the lives of other believers, discipling them in their faith. But the Bible says some among the fellowship have been supernaturally grace gifted with the gift of teaching in such a way that it benefits the whole body. It's one of the gifts that God has given to me as a senior pastor, teacher in a church. Every senior pastor, teacher, those that stand and teach the word of God, they have this gift of teaching. Now, I know some of you see me up here and you hear me teach and you think, no, you're just a good communicator. But that's not true. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In my 11th grade English class, I failed part of my class Because I was horrified to stand in front of a group of 25 fellow students and give a three and a half minute speech. I'm serious. If you would have told me as a 16-year-old junior in high school that one day I would stand every week in front of thousands of people and open my mouth and speak, I would have said, you have lost your mind. But when I came to know Jesus... The Holy Spirit of God, not because I deserve it, not because I earn it. God in His grace supernaturally gifted me with a gift of teaching so that now when you hear me preach or teach on a Sunday, don't leave here and say, man, Pastor Vance, that was a great sermon. No, give glory and honor to God because it is the grace of God that has supernaturally gifted those who teach the Word of God so that the Spirit can work through them to build up the body of Christ. Another example is the example of giving. All of us have a responsibility to give, right? The Bible teaches that we're all to live generously. But the Bible says that some have been supernaturally grace gifted to this level of generosity. And I know who some of you are. And here's why I know that. Because every time there's a need in our church, you are the first one to say, how much does it cost? What can I do? How can I give? How can I make a difference? How can I make an impact there? These are people that have been supernaturally grace-gifted to give. Listen to the way John MacArthur writes about it. I love his statement. Look at this on the screen. Each believer's spiritual giftedness is unique. Hear that. Let it sink in. As if each were a spiritual snowflake or fingerprint. It is as if God dips his paintbrush into different colors or categories of gifts on his spiritual palette and paints each Christian with a unique blend of colors. How about that? Isn't that awesome? But get this. God didn't do that. So you can put it in your storage box, take it home and say, look how gifted I am. Lord, thank you for gifting me. Thank you for giving me all these spiritual enablements. Thank you for for blessing me. No, God didn't give you that so you can be a storage box. God gave you that so you can be a gift box. So that through you, he could take what he's gifted you with and be a blessing to other people. Well, who has received this gift? Well, he tells us, look back in the text. As each one has received a special gift. That phrase, each one, literally means every single person. Every person that is a follower of Jesus Christ, every person in our fellowship has received a spiritual gift. That means no one is excluded. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been gifted. Because some people, they they get in a context like a church and maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, Pastor, I think I missed the Sunday when they were giving those out. I don't believe I was here when when you distributed those. And maybe some of you see, we tend to kind of, some of the gifts, like the gift of teaching or some of the more highly visible gifts in the body, we tend to celebrate those and sometimes we, we look at the way God's gifted us and we think, well, I don't have that gift so I'm just not as important. But the reality is every single one of us has been grace gifted by God and has a unique role in the body of Christ. Let me give you an equation. All right? This is a mathematical equation to help you understand spiritual gifts. You ready? Here it is. Now, I know not everybody in the room is a math whiz, so I'm going to give you a minute to let this just sink in. But that's how simple it is. If you have been saved, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what that means. Every member of the body is valuable. Every person in the body of Christ is significant. Why? Because God in his infinite grace, in his infinite wisdom, and in his divine sovereignty has uniquely gifted you in a way to serve inside the body of Christ that is unique to who you are. We need you. Paul picked up on this idea of comparing gifts. Look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen what he said. Paul said, for the body is not one member. But many, if the foot says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Imagine you came in this morning and sitting down next to you in the seat beside you was a big eyeball. I hope that weirds you out a little bit, right? I mean, if you come into what's sitting next, you're just a big eyeball. That, that's a strange deal, right? Because the body functions when all the parts are there, and all of them are being used as God designed them to be used. Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, God, this is important, has placed, supported a word, placed the members, each one of them, there it is again, every single one, in the body, just as he, important word, said out loud, desired. We get into this comparison game. Well, I'm, I'm not an eye. I'm not an arm. I'm not highly. Big. Listen, somebody's got to be the big toe. Amen? Now, the big toe may not be sexy. It may not be pretty. But... Cut them off and try to walk around and see how that works out, right? Somebody's got to be the big toe. But it takes all the parts of the body. And Paul here is saying every one of them has been placed. That word placed is a Greek word that means to assign. It means this. God has given you a unique assignment in this fellowship. The word desire is a word that means purpose, just as he purposed, meaning this. Your unique assignment is a part of God accomplishing his purpose in and through us. Here's what this means. God birthed Hope Church to accomplish his mission. And every person that is a part of Hope has been grace gifted by God for a unique assignment. And don't miss this. We will not we will not fulfill our purpose as a part of the grand design of god's mission in the world without one another working together using our gifts it takes all of us together let me illustrate it got to go back in time a little bit but think back november 1934 some of you were alive then many of us were not alive then but november 1934 There was a famous evangelist whose name was Mordecai Ham. Now, most people in this room, unless you're a student of missiology and revivals, you've never heard of Mordecai Ham before. Matter of fact, all you heard when I said it was the word ham, and you're thinking about lunch now, right? (laughs) Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham would travel city to city, and he would set up a big tent, and he would preach revival meetings over a period of one to two weeks in a big tent. And Mordecai Ham saw thousands of people come to Christ. God used him in a great way. November 1934, he sets up a big tent in Raleigh, North Carolina. And every night when he would hold these these tent revival meetings, people would come. They would pack this tent. Well, on this particular night, there were two young teenage boys who found their way into this tent in Raleigh, North Carolina, November 1934, and it was packed. There wasn't a seat left in the house. And there was an usher that noticed these two teenage boys. And he wanted them to hear the gospel. So he went and got two chairs that were folded up. And he brought them and he created a new little row right down front. And he set these two teenage boys right in front of Mordecai. And made sure they had the best seats in the house. Mordecai preached the gospel. A lot of people got saved that night. But two of them were those two little teenage boys sitting right in front. They came and gave their lives to Jesus and were radically born again. Now, you've probably never heard of the name Mordecai Ham. I don't even know the name of the usher. But you do know the name of one of those two young boys. Let me put his picture up here on the screen. His name is Billy Graham. They say of Billy Graham that he has preached the gospel... To more people live in person in his lifetime than any other person in the history of Christianity. In person, Billy Graham has preached in 185 nations to over 215 million people. That doesn't count. The hundreds of millions of people who heard him on television, on the radio, on the internet. I I know people in our own church who came to Christ through the preaching. Anybody here this morning, you came to Christ either to crusade, on television, radio, through the preaching ministry of Billy Graham? I know some people in our church. I don't know which service they're in. but, But they've come to Christ through the preaching ministry of Billy Graham millions and millions of people. Let me ask you a question. When Billy Graham one day stands before the Lord Jesus in heaven and rewards are being given out for faithful service to the Lord, who's going to get the the, the reward for all those millions and millions and millions of people? Is it going to be Billy Graham? Is it going to be Mordecai Ham? Is it going to be that usher who brought those two chairs and made a spot for those two boys down front? You know what I believe? I believe it's going to be all of them. I believe they will all share in the reward of the millions of people that come to Christ. Because here's the bottom line. If there wasn't an usher that grabbed a chair, there'd be no Billy Graham. Because an usher grabbed a chair, millions and millions and millions and millions of people all over the world have heard the gospel. You and I have been given a grace gifting, and all of us are needed in the body of Christ. Here's the second statement. You have been given a grace gift to serve others. To serve others. Again, I didn't get this gift so I can put it in a storage box and Say, Lord, thank you for how gifted I am, how blessed I am. No, God gave us this gift to serve. Let's go back to the verse. Verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Employ it in serving. That, that phrase, employ it in serving, is the Greek phrase that literally means to wait on a table. It's the idea of a server or a waiter in a restaurant setting where someone is eating and you are making sure they have everything that they need, right? How many of you over the last couple of weeks have eaten at least one meal out in some type of a restaurant? Let me see your hand. Just hold it up for a second. It's what I thought. Most everybody has eaten out at least one time. It's one of the blessings of living in America. We get the privileges of where we want to eat and how we want to eat, and how often we want to eat, and how many times in the day we want to eat. But, but many people have eaten in a restaurant When you go in a restaurant and you sit down, there's usually someone assigned or two or three people assigned to your table to wait on your table. It's the same concept of employing this gift. That's the same word that's being used here. Now, let me just kind of time out and do a parenthetical here, and let me just encourage all of us as Christians, if you are in a restaurant, Christians should be the most generous tippers that live in Las Vegas. Amen? Amen? Listen, we don't tip based on how well they serve. God didn't graciously give you a gift based on how well you performed. He gave you a gift that you didn't even deserve, right? I don't know what that server's going through. I don't know what's happening in their family. I don't know what just phone call they just got or text they just got before they came to my table. I don't know how much their life may be falling apart. And so, service good, service bad. Doesn't matter. Be incredibly generous, especially during this season, the holiday season. Be incredibly generous. I think Christians should be the most generous people when it comes to blessing those who take care of in restaurant settings like that now just want to say that get it out there if you work in that business you can say amen amen so you just make sure that you are very generous but that being said the best service in a restaurant is the kind of service where you don't have to ask for it they're doing it before you even ask right like my family yesterday, we were out doing some running around, and we ran into a restaurant and sat down to eat, and I won't name it, but we were in a restaurant where they have this little device on the table where when you need something, you're supposed to punch a button, and it starts this flashing light to let them know you need something. Well, that told me right out of the gate, service ain't good here. If I got to light something on fire on the table <laughs> to let them know, hey, pay attention to me, that we're, service is not a high priority at this place, right? But, but the good service is the kind that before your glass gets to the bottom, Before you hear that (laughs) right at the end, they're already putting something else in there, right? So that you never got to, before you need that, utensil or whatever. They're already putting it there in front of you. They're meeting that need. That's the kind of service that he's talking about here. It's a lifestyle of continuous looking. I'm always looking for a need before maybe anybody else even notices it. I see that need and I jump in to meet that need. Here's the point. God has given you a grace gift and you and I are to live constantly on the lookout inside the body of Christ for ways to serve others in the family of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a need inside the church? Maybe it was a need in a family. Maybe it was a a need in, in, in one of our ministry structures. Maybe it was a physical tangible need, something knocked over, need to be stood up, something spilled. You ever seen a need inside the church and had this thought? I wonder why the church doesn't do something about that. I know some of us have that thought because I get your email, right? I I know. Why didn't the church do something about this? Can I let you in on a secret? Has it ever dawned on you that you are the church? And God showed you that need because he wanted the church to do something. And you were the answer. You see, the church is not a mailing address. The church is not an office. The church is not a staff team. The church is a community of believers that have been grace gifted by the Holy Spirit of God to live on the lookout for needs that arise so that we can jump in. And before anybody else maybe even notices, we're meeting that need and serving our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. There are two big mistakes we make in this idea of spiritual gifts. One of them is we become obsessed with knowing what our gift is. Because some of you are already thinking, I wonder what my gift is. And and if you go online, man, there's all kind of inventories and surveys and pop quizzes that you can take that will spit out at the end. Here's what we think your gift is. But the bottom line is none of those are completely accurate. Here's the reality. You look for areas of need in the life of the church. And you begin to serve. And as you begin to do that, out of the needs that God makes you aware of, over time, God will refine and define for you how he's gifted you to serve and meet the needs of others. I would have never guessed, never picked teaching at all. But through the years, as I began to follow Christ, began to open the Bible and teach, God began to define and refine for me that that was one of the ways that he gifted me To serve the greater body of Christ. So in a moment, I'm going to talk to you about when you leave today, out in the courtyard, there's a tent that we have set up. There are all kinds of stations out there of needs that we have in our church. And I'm going to challenge you, if you are not currently serving, stop by that tent and look for an area where you can begin to use your gifts in service to the body of Christ. And as you do that, God will refine and define specifically how he's gifted you and how he desires to use you in the lives of others. Here's a, a second way we, we commonly mess up when it comes to spiritual gifts is we think the gift is all about us. We, we kind of wear that gifting like a badge of honor, like we're somebody because we got this gift. Listen to what, again, my professor taught me. Look at it on the screen. Gifts are given not for enjoyment, but Employment. Not for personal satisfaction, but for public service. Not for the equipment of feelings, but for the enablement of fellowship. They're always given for others. That's why Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good spiritual gifts as God designed them are not about me. They're about what God desires to do through me in the lives of others. And if what I'm calling a spiritual gift is all about me and my fellowship with the Lord, that's not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are designed for the building up of the body of Christ to allow Christ in me to live through me and serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. Make sense? Say amen. Here's the third statement. We're finished serving others is the only right response to God's grace in your life. It's the only right response to God's grace in your life. Look back at verse 10 again. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. And here's the last phrase. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Serving others is just being a good steward. The word steward was a word that was borrowed out of everyday Greek culture. Almost every household had stewards and servants in the household. There were more servants in modern day Rome than there were citizens of modern day Rome. They served and worked in the households. And these servants had multiple different jobs, but one of them, one of the chief servants in every household in the modern day Rome or in in, in ancient Rome, was called the dispenser. And their job was to take everything that was managed and owned by the household. And they were to utilize what was owned by the household and dispense that in such a way that it stewarded what the household owned in a way that reflected the heart of the one who owned it. Think about that and look at how J.B. Phillips translated this verse. Look at this on the screen. J.B. Phillips said this, Serve one another. With the particular gifts God has given each of you as, look at it, faithful, what? Dispensers of the magnificently varied grace of God. Here's the point. We've all received much grace. Amen? Were it not for the grace of God, I would be lost today on my way to an eternity separated from God but when I was a freshman in college the grace of God interrupted my life. The grace of God showed me my lostness. But the grace of God did not just show me my lostness. The grace of God pointed me to the solution, to the answer, the person of Jesus Christ. God who came into the world took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, did what I couldn't do. Then he offered that body on a cross for my sin and he died on the cross for me so that my sin could be paid for but he didn't stay dead he rose again from the dead so that I could be forgiven of my sin and I could have his life in me all of that was made possible because of the grace of God I would have never figured that out on my own I could have never earned my way into a right standing with God but the grace of God saved me and every one of us in this room that have come to know Jesus you have an experience just like that where the grace of God saved you but listen the grace of God saving us is just the starting point. The grace of God has done so much in our life. The grace of God protects us. The grace of God uh, heals us. The grace of God provides for us. The grace of God sustains us. I'm the husband, the father, the coworker, the friend that I am today. All because of the grace of God. I've been entrusted now with a supernatural enablement, a grace gift. And here's what he's saying. Now... I'm to simply be a faithful dispenser of that amazing, the only right response to that grace is to now share that grace with others. Allow the grace of God in me to work through me in the lives of others. So here's my challenge for you today. I want to give you a very specific challenge. Almost everybody in this room that comes to hope regularly, you get poured into two to three hours a week. Gather time here on the weekend, then group time during the week. Two to three hours a week you get poured into. Here's my challenge to you. Take two to three hours a month as a starting point. And pour back out. Two to three hours a week, it's coming in as a starting point. Now, some of you, listen, we got a lot of these people in our church, and I think, listen, the reason we're the church we are is because there's a lot of these people in our church. There's a lot of these. I look around the room, and I'm catching eyes with some of these people. I thank God for you. But we got some of these too. And here's my prayer today, that all of these They become these. So I'm going to ask you, if you don't have a current place where you know two to three hours a month you're serving, here's my two-minute challenge. When you leave today, stop by that tent in the courtyard for two minutes. Two minutes. Find a place where you can give a couple of hours a month as a starting point to begin being a faithful dispenser of the grace that God has put in you. Amen? Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you for your word today, and I pray that you would use it for your glory and honor. Holy Spirit, right now, would you speak as only you can into the lives of the people in this room. And as you sit here today quietly before the Lord, in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to stand and sing a song of worship when we stand and sing this song of worship in just a moment, it's an opportunity for you to respond to what you've heard today. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've never come to know Jesus, this Jesus that I just talked about, the one that changed my life as a freshman in college when I came to know him personally. Maybe you've never come to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus and you'd like to know more about how you can become a follower of Jesus today, experience the forgiveness of God, when we stand to sing in just a moment... You just slip out from where you're standing. You can come to, we have some pastors down here at the front. You can come to any one of these pastors, and here's all you have to say: I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God. You just come. For others of you today, maybe, maybe as we've been talking today, maybe God's put somebody on your heart, somebody that you know, a relative, a friend, a coworker, and they don't know Jesus. And God's put them on your heart. And you just want to come and pray for them today. Man, these altars are going to be open. You can come and just get along with God and pray. Or maybe there's something in your job, your health, your family, a relationship. And you just want one of our pastors to pray with you and over you. We're we're going to be here. You can come. While we're singing this song of worship, you come. We'd be honored to pray with you and for you today. But for the rest of us, I want us to be in a spirit of worship as we sing these songs. And think about how God is using us to serve others in the family of God. Lord, use this time for your glory. God, have your way. Holy Spirit, move today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.